We have a great conversation on tap for you today with Father Paul Hazing, the president rector of Kenrick Glennon Seminary. We're talking about this idea of moving from maintenance to mission. What does it mean to be in a culture that's not necessarily in a Christendom mode anymore, but now has to go out to the world and be more apostolic? It's a great conversation. Can't wait for you to listen to it. Just a reminder to like and subscribe to the Go and Make podcast so every time a new episode drops, it's right there in your feed. Welcome to Go and Make from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, equipping you to live the great commission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. All right, welcome back to the Go and Make podcast. We're really excited this week for this conversation with Father Paul Hazing, who is the rector and president of Kenrick Glennon Seminary here in St. Louis, but not a priest of the Archdiocese, right? No, a priest of the Archdiocese of Omaha. I hope that's okay. We'll we'll have you. Okay, you know, it's up the road, but that's right. My Archbishop is a native son, Archbishop George Joseph Lucas, and uh, he's been wonderful as my Archbishop, and grateful that he's allowed me to be here, but also grateful that one day I can be back home. That's the hope and plan. Right, but and you have Omaha seminarians here too, so he has a vested interest in in what you're doing. We do, and we've had Omaha seminarians seminarians here for a long time. Uh, as long back, far back as I can remember, in fact, the priests who served my county uh, were all, by and large, educated here at Kenrick. They baptized my grandparents, my parents. They were all Kenrick grads. And Omaha and St. Louis are similar in so many ways. I served as a missionary for yeah. one year in Omaha, loved the archdiocese there. And I think I always describe Omaha as like, it's St. Louis without professional sports. Right. We we would love to have professional sports, but we got the Blue Jays at Creighton, and we've got uh, the Huskers Husker and Lincoln. Husker football. That's it. I mean, that might be bigger than professional sports. It could sports. be bigger than the Blues. I yeah, don't know. I think it might be. Right. <laughs> and they get, you know, they set a world record for biggest attendance at a volleyball game I think ever right now Husker we're a volleyball Stadium. state. Yeah. We're, we're just going to have it's to say good. that. We're a volleyball yeah. state. Football, not so good. Right. So tell me a little bit about your own faith story. Not necessarily your vocation story, but how did you just come mm. to know and love Jesus enough to want to be a priest eventually? My goodness, that's a that's a story we're the always short version, right? Of course, I, you know, yeah. I think it's a story we're always learning. I think we always are coming to know our story, and um, the brief version of it would be: uh, I grew up in an area which would be known as Christendom. Uh, it was a part of Nebraska, settled largely by German immigrants. So, if you weren't German and Catholic, you were from out of town. Uh, a lot of these uh, settlements included the first thing they built as a you know dance hall, so a lot of music. Uh, and then they would build their school, so a lot of uh, emphasis on education. And then, of course, the church itself. And those churches were the cathedrals of the plains. Uh, and, and there's probably 10 of them in an area uh, that now has probably 15, maybe maybe 1,000 Catholics, 1,500 Catholics. So uh, a very densely Catholic area, lots of priests teaching in my Catholic high school. And my dad was teaching in a school. Uh, he was a public school teacher. So... I watched um, the sacramental life of the church be the heart of our family, and I watched fathers father our family, from my dad to the priestly fathers. So I started to fall in love with the reality of Jesus Christ the priest. And I didn't know that was what I was falling in love with because I I didn't really get it explicitly in my face until um, I read Death Comes for the Archbishop and just fell in love with the characters of that Willa Cather novel and how they went out as missionaries in some really rugged country of the southwest of the United States. And it's a, it's a, it's a fictional story based on a non-fictional reality of the original bishop of, of Denver. And, um, and so just to watch 
increase in my own life, in literature, and to see the priesthood of Jesus Christ father people, I, 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 I couldn't ignore the attraction. So yes, I had a prayer life through college and high school, but it was a prayer life that helped me pay attention. Uh, I didn't know what I was looking at until I started to have people around me and then my own heart say, I've got to be in the seminary to discern this. So, and now you get to form seminarians to do the same, right? I mean, that's a yeah, that's, call. that's an astonishing um, reality. I, I, I just, in fact, had a, a phone call the other day from a, a fellow who I went to seminary with in college. We were in college seminary for two years. I was only in college seminary for two years. He's married, has three children, and they're planning a 25, 26-year anniversary reunion together this summer. And um, he's now a psychologist, a doctor in psychology, and uh, we're both sort of in the same boat of forming people in, in healthy ways, uh, but remarkable that our beginnings were in the seminary together. That's great. And you kind of hit on it a little bit in terms of your introduction there, but our topic today, I want to talk a little bit about the book From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, mm-hmm. but not necessarily just the book but really the concept that we're living in an age now that is just fundamentally different than the age the church is maybe built for and our structures and things like that. As we talk about our own evangelizing vision of the archdiocese and things, just critical things people need to know. We have four M's, right? The moment, right? The Mm -hmm. Christendom to apostolic mission moment, understanding the culture, Mm -hmm. the model, right? So building a path of discipleship in our parishes, Mm -hmm. the method. So accompaniment, discipleship, relational evangelization, and the fourth one is just a key focus on the message. So if you keep four M's, it keeps it really simple. Mm-hmm. People can remember that. Mm-hmm. But the first one is really understanding that moment that we're in as the church, you know, and it's that it's coming out of the Second Vatican Council. It's the mm-hmm. church understanding uh, who she is in a different way. I love that Paul VI talks about it um, in some of his writings. He talks about really it's like we're holding up a mirror to ourselves mm-hmm. to see the image that we present to the world, but the image that Christ is calling us to be. Mm. And we have to reconcile those two things as the church. And that's really what renewal is mm-hmm. in the church. It's what All Things New has been about. I know Omaha has been going through a similar process mm-hmm. in their archdiocese. So really the key thing about the moment is understanding where the world is and where we are. And that those Christendom structures mm-hmm. aren't necessarily always aiding to the proclamation of the gospel, but they do serve some good there as well. Mm-hmm. They certainly do, and I guess it would be helpful to go back just to the original moment of the church and talk about what they had when they when the church began. They had a Pentecost, and the power of the Holy Spirit came to this group who was given a task: go and make disciples. That was the task. That was that was the mission entrusted to the church. And uh, I asked men in the seminary, uh, "What's your discipleship class? Do you have a class on discipleship?" And of course, none of them do. But they have a spiritual director, they have a formator, they have uh, professors. So they're being discipled intellectually, they're being discipled humanly, they're being discipled in the parish by pastors. So the discipleship is happening through a relationship. And so if you look at the early church, they could go up and say, what's our agenda? To proclaim the good news to the whole world. What do you have in place? Well, we have 11 bishops, uh, we have the same number of priests, <laughs> we have... Uh, we have uh, no Gospels, uh, we have no Bibles yet. No money. <laughs> no money, no schools, yeah. no universities. They just go down, they have nothing. And this is how Jesus coached them into that, take nothing for the journey. And so this, this encouragement among all Catholics to reorient to an interior life that pays attention to God's Holy Spirit in their life, at work in their life, rather than the external things uh, that would be... 
um, kind of helpful to kind of bring me along. But as you know, the moment is a, a secular culture that really doesn't have much to do with Christian vision, a Christian imagination about the afterlife and the gospels and the moral life. All of these things are uh, set aside. And so we're having to meet people in a relational way uh, that allows them to be awakened to a different vision of reality. And I think in our own culture, we don't realize, you know, we have, we have a lot of good Christian ideas rooted in our culture in terms of law and structure and things like that. But I don't think we realize how much we're inundated with a, a post-Christian reality just from all the secular media mm-hmm. and, you know, TV, internet, like it, it, it's on constant from us, the way we're receiving our news. And, and it's not always have the, it doesn't have the heart of that message in it no. the way that maybe it once did. No, there, there's a lot taken for granted. So a lot of the goodness of our culture in terms of taking care of the poor and laws that protect the vulnerable, those are all Judeo-Christian principles. Those are not pagan principles. And so we're really riding some very important patrimony from the Christian Christendom faith, if you will. But we're also having to contend a lot with some antagonism, uh, outright indifference, a lot of indifference. The nuns nowadays, I think they're 30% of our culture. Yeah, people with no religious, state of religious beliefs. Right, yeah. right, not, none whatsoever. And I just saw the data for Catholics. There's some 82 million Catholics, 76 million call themselves Catholic, 36 million might go to church twice a year, and 9 million Catholics go to Mass every Sunday. So uh, this isn't a priesthood problem. It's not a vocational problem that we're seeing with, a, with the planning that we're doing with parishes. It's really a practicing Catholic issue. And what's interesting to me sometimes to think about, too, is this idea of Christendom to apostolic mission. And sometimes we talk about Christendom like it's a bad word, mm. right? But mm-hmm. really Christendom, the, the state of the culture being predominantly Christian in institution and structure, was actually the fruit of successful evangelization in the past. Right, right. You look at the first three centuries of the church. Uh, it, the faith was very pure because it cost a lot. If you were going to be a Catholic Christian, boy, you might lose your head. And so that made for a culture of martyrdom, and that seeds of martyrdom gave, martyrdom gave rise to the, the, the church, the people that caught on to look how they love one another, look how the love it animates their community. And so you see the church expand and become very potent until the Reformation, if you will, if you want to fast forward and say there was a need to reform some of the structures. And the counter-reformation of the church that took place with the great saints that gave us so many great orders and, and intellectual life. We, we just, we saw, we see this ebb and flow, right? So that, that, that contending of the counter-cultural, counter-reformation is now leading us into this fact that it's not just the church on the playing board anymore. It's, it's, it is a whole number of visions for what's good and true and beautiful. And we're contending now. Yeah. And, and the resources that the world is putting into that, I mean, the amount of money that Coca-Cola spends on convincing you that it's the best brand and the best mm-hmm. idea, the way they're in your newsfeed on Facebook or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Um, those ideas are, are coming at us fast and yeah. frequent. And as a church, I think one of the things that we re- really wrestle with 
is that I think we assume people are going to learn by osmosis a lot of times. Mm. We, we have people's engagement in our structures, in our Christendom structures, in mm-hmm. our Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. People come to our fish fries, and we have this mentality a lot of times that, you know, the doors of the church are open. Here we are. And if someone's around our parish community, that they're going to, if they want more, they'll let us know, that they're going to come and ask us about it. And really this idea of, of recapturing our apostolic identity is that they might be around, but we have to be, I think, the protagonist in that story to ask the questions, to engage people, to love them mm-hmm. with the witness of our life, mm-hmm. but to really be intentional in trying to invite them back into the church and really to proclaim that gospel message. Yeah, I think there's a great sadness about what's been happening with practicing Catholics and Christians, the the great attrition uh, People talk about, again, I don't mean to harp on something like this, but they talk about having a priest shortage. Well, I want to go to a lot of families and say, how many of your families have practicing members? And how many have drifted away or angled away or just completely resisted the faith or countered the faith? You talk to families, and it's a good 50, 60, 70%. And we have a discipleship shortage. Yeah. Right. And so to say, if you really want to have a, a rejuvenation of priesthood, start rejuvenating your families. But there's a lot of wreckage in the way. <laughs> there's a lot. It's not like we're getting a clear plot of land to work with. Uh, it's it's a there's a lot of stuff in the way that people find difficult about the Christian Catholic faith, and there really hasn't been another time where you can have access to what the Church teaches and why she teaches it. The information is there, unbelievable for everyone at any point. Yeah. So it's not about uh, boy, we got to say this louder. We got to say this truth more often. We got to teach this doctrine more incessantly. It's going to be duck water on a duck's back because we haven't tilled the soil of their humanity to start asking questions. Yeah, I think there's a whole generation uh, that's trying to evangelize, and they just lament bad catechesis. And there's been plenty of bad catechesis sure. in the church. A lot of confusion coming out of the council, and, and some crazy ideas out there. Fine. But now having that better catechesis, what I often say is like we're living in what, if it's not already, it's going to be the golden age of catechetical content with form.org and all the, you know, Father Mike Schmitz in my pocket at any given moment. We have all of that, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really move the needle Mm -mm. unless it's applied relationally in a way that understands who we're we're working with and talking Mm -hmm. to in a way that really demonstrates true love. Mm -hmm. Right. I love that adage where in the old days, if you will, if you, if you, if you behave a certain way, then you'll start to believe in a certain way, then you'll belong to this group, right? And that was kind of the model for how we went about reaching people, get them to behave differently, and then they'll believe. Nowadays, we really have to start with belonging. Do you know how to belong and be with people and and gather people in such a way that allows them to feel they want more meaning in their life? Uh, They want to see something different in their life. One of the ways I've been emphatic about this in the seminary is uh, a lot of guys... Uh, will have encounters with people, uh, whether it's in a grocery store or in their uh, outside the parish, or uh, and, and they'll be wearing clerics and they'll be amazed by these encounters, and because they've now started a conversation about the faith or the, the person's family, or you know they they've ignited something they didn't quite expect because they were wearing a collar. So I asked them this question: What would that encounter have been like without the collar? Well, they can't imagine it because the person wouldn't have approached them, the person wouldn't have gone there, if you will. Um, The person might not have talked about faith at all because they were in the collar. The collar baited the situation. But I asked them to imagine what it would have been like, because if I can't solicit or guide or direct a conversation with my own own wherewithal, (laughs) 
then I really have no business in the collar <laughs> because I have to have that human and spiritual development to engage people that will be meaningful to them. Uh, so I use the example of, you know, in my own life, I get my hair cut by 12 different people and uh, I know a lot about their family, their faith, and eventually they might come around the second or third time I come in, uh, what do you do or do you have children? And I'll tell them I'm a priest, but the conversation doesn't suddenly shift. Why? Because I've met them humanly and in matters of faith already. There isn't some kind of Christian, Christendom overlay on things. I'm apostolic all the time, whether I'm in the collar or not. Yeah, and I think what's important about that too is, and this can be another approach to evangelization that falls short sometimes, is you didn't come in the first time and say, you know, I'm not wearing my collar because I want to get hair on my nice blacks, but hey, by the way, I'm a priest and this is how you should be living or, or whatever. You, you built a foundation of mm-hmm. a human relationship first. It's great. It's, it's an adventure. And it's an engagement that I, I have to learn how to develop in myself. So certain personalities that are difficult to be with or certain, you know, quietness, how do you break in the shell and just be so gently. And so learning how to be with people in a very comprehensive way, that's the task of our men in seminary formation, repeatedly encountering people, soliciting conversations and seeing where they go. Some, guy, some of the guys call it, you know, barehanded ministry. They'll just go on a college campus and they've done this as missionaries. And it's so that kind of practice for Catholic Christians boy, it would really be an adventure for some people. They might discover they have great gifts. Right, yeah, the uh, the Ted Lasso quote, right? Be curious, not mm-hmm. judgmental, right? right? And just ask questions. Yeah. And, and if you're paying attention to what's going on in people's lives, if you know them and love them, you can see the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You can see things moving and stirring their life. And just like Jesus did, just keep asking questions of them. Every time he got asked a question, he, he, he flipped it back and asked another question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really a, a great skill for evangelists is to... You know, not just, we're not just trying to prove a point. Mm. We're trying to introduce them to a person and a relationship. Mm-hmm. And if we're trying to win an argument, it doesn't, it doesn't work. No. So no. We, we have to, to be attentive to bringing them along. And, and that requires genuine and authentic love of another person. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes as Catholics, and I've heard this as I go out to parishes, um, people say, you know, I ask them why they want to evangelize because they're interested in it because we're talking about it a lot. So, so it's out in the air, right? And they say, well, I don't want my school to close, or we have the best fish fry, or I don't want to lose what I know. And really what they're, what they're engaged in is almost a sort of like tribalism as opposed to authentic evangelization, which is about the person of Jesus Christ. They want to, they want to grow their tribe, and they want, to, they want to be proved right about what they know and believe and prove other people wrong. And I think you see that on the Internet a lot too, right? Just people putting their flag in and playing it down and telling everyone else why they're wrong but not really wanting their good. And I think that's something that sometimes we have to figure out how to do better day in, day out. Yeah, without even opening your mouth, does a person looking at you imagine, wow, I think there's really good news in that person. (laughs) That's the beginning of evangelization. It's in your affect. It's in your body. It's in the way you move. I have good news in me. And if you can't see that, well, okay. But I'm going to go out to all the world and tell good news without even using uh, so many words. Right. Paul VI uh, talks about that modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than it does teachers. And if it listens to teachers, it's because they're first witnesses. And obviously, there's, there's a real element in our church. We want to talk about our witness and our lived witness. But oftentimes, as Christians, we have a counter witness to the faith, too, where what we say doesn't match what we do. And... Um, and that can be a real obstacle, I think, to reaching people in evangelization and understanding that the church has wounded people. Um, 
in in the book he uses uh, he talks about this C.S. Lewis has a great line uh, kind of differentiating between the initial evangelization and what this new evangelization is. He says when the apostles first went out it was like it was like trying to woo a young lover for the first time. Everything's exciting, everything's beautiful, your head over heels, you're seeing hearts everywhere, right? But now trying to win back the culture that has heard Christianity, seen Christianity, maybe not found it convincing because we have a counter witness, it's trying to win back a cynical divorcee. And I just think that there's so much, the the only way to do that is not just to tell them why you're right or why they were wrong to leave you, but just to re-engage in that base level relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to take a a lot of uh, prayer on our part. So I, I really think that the tandem here is not only a, a human development of our own capacity to be relational, but also the spiritual development to pay attention to the Holy Spirit, calling upon the Holy Spirit, trusting in the Holy Spirit, learning the movements of one's life in the Spirit. And so th- there's no mistake that the charismatic renewal was an extremely explosive experience for the church. Uh, but I think what we're now seeing is how those gifts of the Spirit are not just some charismatic sect over here. They're for everyone. They're for everyone, yeah. always. And so contemplative prayer life, that means taking 30 minutes a day to be in intimate contact with the person of Jesus Christ. That's the engine for this mission. If I don't have that engine, then we're just doing a lot of work and it's going to get exhausting. Yeah, you can't give what you don't have. And until you give it away, you actually don't really own it mm-hmm. all the way. And I think that's just a fundamental rule for evangelization. Yeah, I was talking with Ed Hogan is at the seminary. Sure. Uh, and we were talking about a new Pentecost. And he says, I'm not really convinced we've unpacked the graces of the first one yet. So do we need a new one in the same way? And it was a really, it was a really good challenge because it was, it was that the church and the Holy Spirit gives us everything we need to be successful. It, the, the ingredients are there. But it's our docility and our willingness to to do it the way the Holy Spirit wants us to do it, which is often different than the way I want to do it, mm-hmm. almost always, mm-hmm. <laughs> or my first instincts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that can be a hard a hard thing to learn sometimes. Yeah, but we're we're learning and we're helping each other learn. Dr. Hogan's one of those great teachers, if you will, mentors, and certainly uh, a coach, if you will, for a lot of guys in the academic world. It, it is. True, everything's given in the sacramental life of the church offered to us from that first Pentecost. So are you baptized? You have all the gifts because you've been confirmed as well, and you receive the Eucharist. And just leaning into the sacramental treasure that we have as Catholics and saying, oh, this life is incarnate of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is being made incarnate by my life. And and that's the basic vocation of every Christian. Uh, You see it in Mary. Receive the Holy Spirit and bring Jesus in the world. That's the basic vocation. And if I haven't been practiced or learning uh, what it's like to receive the Holy Spirit or been around people who are good at noticing the Holy Spirit in their life, I'm going to miss a lot, and and I'll try to do a lot on my own. And that's, without me, you can do nothing. I think that's a lot of what I find out most of the time is what nothing looks like for me. (laughs) And and I think that, you know, another point I love to make is that when, if you're not aware of what the Lord is doing in your own life and the way he's challenging you to grow, you can't expect to be able to speak into someone else's because mm-hmm. you're not as attuned to the way that the Holy Spirit can surprise you or the way that the Lord can challenge you. And I think another point he makes in the book, he's talking about practical ideas for for evangelization later on, some strategies. And, and one of the things he says is like, uh, 
ignore the numbers. Mm-hmm. And, and we want to talk about the numbers, of course. We do. But to accept and understand that the Holy Spirit has always acted against the conventional wisdom of what happens next. The church has been predicted to die in every generation when the numbers start to go down, but the Holy Spirit can always act above and beyond what should happen or what we expect to happen on a human level. Mm-hmm. Right. The, if we play by metrics of the world, we'll never win. Uh, but if we pay attention to how the church has been renewed in every age, it's usually a deeply personal encounter with Jesus Christ in the heart of the church in a way that a lot of people don't notice. Um, and so I, I constantly say the most fruitful human activity is to receive God. If you want to see the scriptural evidence for that, go to a small podunk area of the Roman Empire where a young girl says, let it be done to me. That was a pretty fruitful receiving of the Holy Spirit. And then you watch the saints through history. A guy goes to a cave and writes a rule that says it's about prayer and work. His name is Benedict. He happened to be a great lawyer, but he received in a cave away from the the sights of the world. So a lot of receptivity in private places that shows, look how fruitful God is. So we can't glorify ourselves, which is really important. You know, one of the things that, they also recommend in here for their practical strategies is to form priests mm-hmm. to think with an apostolic mindset. And he also says, be ready to embrace messiness and do things that maybe don't look good on a business plan or make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but to understand, so how, I mean, how are you guys approaching that at the seminary right now, as far as trying to shift the mindset? I think, you know, a lot of our, our parishes, um, there's a lot of strong relationships there and there's a lot of good there. Um, but, even the best parishes are still seeing mass numbers go down. They're still seeing decline. So how do we just think differently about the way we're forming uh, our priests, especially in, in lay leaders, to go out with that kind of different mindset? That's a great question, and it's always being wrestled with. I'd, I'd say this. If you watch the trajectory of the church since the Second Vatican Council, the church saw that she wasn't getting her message to the world. How did we know we were not getting our message to the world? Well, we had the bloodiest century in human history. Two world wars, communism everywhere. It's 1963. The council was called in October 11th, so we're filming here on October 12th. The, the world was not getting good news. And so the church needed to mobilize to give that good news. And so one of the first things you saw in seminary formation was this movement out of the sectarian, cult-like sensibility of the seminary into, let's have better pastoral practices. So pastoral formation was heavily emphasized in the 70s and 80s. Get out there. Get with the people. Get that good news in their hearts. Um, No matter what it takes. Use your guitars. Use your arts. Use your crafts. Use anything you like. Have a polka mask. Whatever. So a lot of that stuff was happening. 70s, disco, a lot of regrets there. Uh, (laughs) 80s, we saw it kind of recalibrating like, well, if we want to have good pastoral effectiveness, we need to have a good thought out theology behind it. And so we started to see a kind of reorientation theologically in our seminaries. And so an orthodoxy that supports solid pastoral outreach. But, you know, orthodoxy is not enough. I'm right, you're wrong, I've got a good vision, you don't. You know, it's very isolating and it's not allowing for an interior sensibility with Jesus. It's about your intimacy with Jesus. And so in the 90s and and early 2000s with IPF and some of the efforts among a lot of seminaries, we saw interior life being emphasized. And so I think for us, one of the chief places we labor is helping men develop an interior life that will allow them to stand on their own two feet 
with the people of God and mobilize them as a leader because he's being led by Jesus Christ interiorly. So if anyone does a history of seminaries, I think they'll find one of the watershed movements was from preached retreats where they would go for five days and listen to a preacher preach a retreat. Nowadays, it's five to eight days of silence and the man's with God in the silence for four hours of prayer and he gets spiritual direction. So someone's listening to them, helping them pay attention to God and learning that in the seminary, learning that interiority, I believe that spiritual formation has now put us on the, on the cusp of the next phase of formation for seminary life and that is developing a humanity that's very all-encompassing, very secure, very uh, fearless, and that humanity that's been integrated in a spiritual interiority that it's just, it's more solid. If a man, you can tell when a man's not solid, when he's sort of like waffling and uncertain and insecure. Indecisive. Indecisive and and anxious. So before we start talking about strategies and structures, we're doing this interior work, human and spiritual renewal and formation that will allow them to really go anywhere and make discerning decisions. He becomes a discerning man. So the first if you will, structural thing is to restructure the interiority of the man, radically reorient him to Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit and letting that become the principle of his life and his work. Not how do I keep the place open? Not how do I get more kids in the school? I mean, we want people to be involved, but we can't do that programmatically everywhere. Right. I always, you know, evangelization is not a mass attendance program. No. It's something I say a lot. Now, that's a fruit. And if our mass attendance right. never goes up or never changes, then we right. need to look at, at the ground level of what we're doing. But that's a lagging indicator. Yeah. yeah. And the lag, the leading indicators, are you putting in the work mm-hmm. up front? Are you, are you preaching the gospel message regularly? Are you inviting people to RCAA? Are you... Uh, in relationship with people who don't come to mass and, 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 and walking with them and asking them questions and answering their questions and those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to have three areas in the church he can work from, and that's the altar with the Holy Sacrifice, but prayerfully helping people engage that. Preaching well, eight to 10 minute homilies that are effective on Sunday, three to five in the daily, just really effective communicators of a meaningful message that comes from his heart. And then the confessional, that's the other place he's going to meet people, to have meaningful encounters in the confessional, not invasive questioning, but a real, mm, here's Jesus, here's good news, here's what his message is for you, here's a good penance, not just a, a couple glory bees and off you go, but some, some penance that reaches the heart. And so having men who can be more attentive to the human heart because they've had their hearts tended to is, is the desire on our part. And really that same principle is, you know, it, it looks different in seminary formation, mm-hmm. but that's the same principle that we want our missionary disciples in our parishes to live as well. Right. Somebody asked me, why are you still in St. Louis? Why are you doing this? Why, why not come home? Why? And I just I had to come up with a reason. Well, the only reason I could come up with is I want to see the formation we do in the seminary happen in the parish. I want to see people have great teaching. I want to see people have great spiritual direction. I want to see people have disciplers and how to create disciples. So by the end of a man's time and formation, he doesn't become just a man who knows some stuff. That's a boring guy and he's going to get exhausted. He knows a lot about canon law and dogma and scripture. He knows a lot of stuff, but does he have faith that God does it? 
So to raise up a man of faith means he needs to be discipled. I just had a guy in today, he was beautifully talking about, yeah, there's too much to do in seminary. There's too much. There's just too much. It's overwhelming. And I realized that's right because God has to do it. And I cooperate with him. And so it just flipped his whole perspective from a guy who's got to do some stuff to a guy who's living in faith. And that's not going to change when he's ordained. No, there's, you know, he's going to carry that out. He's going to be tired because there's a lot to do and they can never do it. all. There's going to be more and more. So a man living by faith, that's a key move. And that mindset shift, I think, is really what it's about. It's about understanding that it's not just keeping the things going, but it really mm-hmm. is. How do we have that apostolic mission? And the apostolic mission is to recover the heart of the gospel, not to assume that our structures are going to proclaim the gospel, our, our schools, our hospitals or whatever universities, they're good. There's a foundation there, but the world needs to hear the message again in a new way. And they need to be called to invited to conversion in a way that we can't just open the doors and assume they're going to come if they want it. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of people have been sacramentalized, but they haven't been evangelized. And we see we see this with our men too. Just because they're seminarians doesn't mean they have uh, they're up in another echelon. Really, they they're representative of our culture. A lot of them are anxious. A lot of them are insecure. That's our culture. It's just that they're not running from it, like most Americans. Most Americans are anxious and insecure and miserable, and they're consoled by a lot of consuming. Yeah, we just <laughs> but spiritually miserable. ourselves, right? Spiritually miserable, but totally distracted. And so these men come in and they face their stuff. And so that can be messy and hard, which is why there's always tensions in the seminary. But my role is to help them not to freak out. This is normal. This is healthy. We go to Jesus. We go to those who can help us. We ask for help. We get help. We cooperate with help. We're not perfecting ourselves. We're incorporating both our strengths and our weaknesses in a way that's serene and not shameful. We're having a real conversation about what it means to be a disciple together. And that, that I think, is a, a new project for a lot of seminaries. And, and yet that's the, what has to happen in our culture, our churches, everywhere. There, I think there's a lot of apostolates around the country springing up that are being really fruitful in doing that, in forming disciples and making disciples and, and forming people to pray and discern. And really, the, you know, the new evangelization hasn't really been realized in parishes yet. And I think that that's really like the key is, is merging what you're talking about doing in seminary and how mm-hmm. does that become a part of the normal part of parish life. Right. And I, I think, you know, the catechism talks about one of my favorite paragraphs, 900. It says, you know, the, the involvement of the lady is so important that the, the apostle of the ministry of the priest is actually ineffective or not fully effective unless we engage the lady in it. So it's really, you know, the lady need to come alongside the priest and be sent out into, you know, I was a focused missionary. I, I worked with some leaders and those leaders went on to campus to find the kids because I couldn't be in math class or whatever with those kids. And it's the same thing in parish life. The priest is, you know, his home base is probably going to be the parish most of the time. But how is he investing in those lay leaders and sending them out to live that mission? So exactly. Uh, that is um, a great transition point just to, to move into our last little segment here, which is if you had to give anyone just like practical tips and advice of how to reclaim that apostolic identity to maybe not take for granted the structures of the church, the Christendom mindset, what are some practical things people can do just day in, day out in their lives to tr- start to think with that apostolic mindset? Mm. Well, I... Th- the first step, I believe, would be developing a prayer life, a prayer life that's consistent and honest. 
those are the only two measures for prayer. Consistency yeah, hard. and honesty. <laughs> I know. I know. That's why it's the most important first step. And, uh, and so learning about relational prayer, ARRR, and how this is all about a dynamic of relating with Jesus and, and using Lexio in the heart of that. And if a person is actively involved as a discipler or going out as an evangelizer, I'd say 30 minutes a day would be just a very good gold standard for that person. 30 minutes a day of contemplative, silent prayer with Lexio, asking for the graces, departing with the petitions, and just letting that 30 minutes a day be the heart of their day. So uh, we, we do it in the morning in the seminary, and we have guys who still pray that way even though they're not going on for priesthood. <laughs> they, they've learned how to pray, and it's the foundation of their lives. So learn to pray. The disciples asked for it. They got it. After they learned how to pray, Jesus sent them out, and he sent them out without a lot of stuff. So I would encourage, secondly, practically, is there anything that just kind of hinders your vision? Is there anger? Is there unforgiveness? Is there this tribalism? Are there things that I need to be detached from? Distraction. Face, you know, you're flipping through your phone. If you've right? got a lot of media yeah. in your life and you got a lot of ways to distract yourself. So what are some things I can parse down? You know, I don't need a money belt or second tunic or sandals. I just need the gospel. And then praying and considering who are the people the Lord's inviting me to, to approach or invite in this more intentional way. It may not be to a Bible study right away, but there's a bunch of people at work that, you know, they love to eat barbecue and wouldn't it be great to do it at my house once in a while? And we do it once in a while and then more often and then we start talking about things and that's how things develop. So who are the people in your life that the Lord's kind of raising Let up? Let him reveal them yep, to you. Yep. Yeah. And he will invite you into those people's lives. And that starts a, a capacity on your part that gets, you know, what was once potential gets actuated for you. And so the practicality gets learned through the actually doing it, if you will. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to remember, too, that if you're not failing, mm-hmm. you're not really trying. Right, <laughs> you know? right. So the apostles went out and they said, Lord, there were demons we couldn't cast out. Why? Well, they, they went out and learned what they weren't. They didn't have their prayer and fasting mm-hmm. down all the way. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so there's, there's lessons to be learned that even if we're not successful evangelists or fruitful in the way that we think we're going to be, mm-hmm. the Lord's still working on us interiorly. And he's preparing us for that next conversation along the way as well. Mm-hmm. Father, thanks so much uh, for the time today. Again, the book is From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, published by the University of Mary. It is well worth the read. If you want to get the, the full version, definitely check out the book uh, and try to uh, do this in your life. Would you just close us with a, a quick prayer? Sure. Let us pray. Father, you sent your only son to draw us into your heart, and your son sends us to go and make disciples after his own heart. And so we ask for the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit in our own lives to be transformed as your disciples and bring good news to all whom we meet. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, that was Father Paul Hazing, President Rector of Kenrick Glennon Seminary, a priest of the Archdiocese of Omaha. Reminder to like and subscribe to Go and Make, to share it with people in your parish, with your friends, anyone who's looking to learn how to evangelize. Thanks for listening and Go and Make Disciples.